21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. What is a live edge table and how does it differ from traditional woodworking? Let's go with the context first. So live edge is basically where you take the tree, you fell the tree, you slab the tree out. And so the natural contours of the tree is the size of the slab that I'm working with rather than just gluing up two by sixes, two by eights, that kind of thing. Like no mill work. It's just big, big wood. And then what is what is the creative process behind designing custom, I suppose custom live edge furniture look like? Yeah, it all depends on who the client is. If it's residential, I usually get a lot of freedom because people don't know what's possible or capable. Um, like today, I just got asked to bid on a big project in Florida at an Omni Hotel and they have you know, they provide kind of renderings, like rough drawings and stuff like that. So there's not a lot of creativity in that. It's mostly just problem solving. And then um, I have a 16 foot conference table that's about to head out to New York next week. You know, that's direct to corporate. And they were just like, yo, we want a big statement piece. I can do that. And what about Matt Fraser and Cole Hamels? Um, Fraser, I did his dining table for his new house up in Vermont. Um, they actually, he was down in Dallas doing um, Darren Woodson's podcast. And so we went out to dinner. They came by the showroom. They saw this quad heart, which is four trees that grew together as one. It was like a little over six feet in diameter, big cross cut. And he was like, Okay, when we move into our house, I want that. I was like, oh, yeah, let's go. And then uh, Cole Hamels, um, they were very particular. They actually had a concept image, and she, his wife, Heidi, was like, I want exactly this, but better. So I had to go around, search for the perfect tree, and then had to explain my vision. Nobody, of course, understood it. And then once I got started and they kind of saw the inner workings, they were like, oh, okay. What steps are involved? in making a custom live edge table from start to finish? It all starts with the wood and finding something that's gnarly looking, it's different looking, it's it's got crazy character, a lot of defects. That's what give it, gives it character. It's not grade A lumber like you're gonna see in construction. It's the defects, the knots, the holes, the voids, the cracks. That's what makes it beautiful and gives it the crazy grain. So it all starts with the wood. Is it your feeling or is it some kind of vibe of that specific wood? I would love to give you a really cool answer. But honestly, if I think it's cool looking, then I know I can make something cool. Okay. I can't explain it. It's just, if I think that's sick, let's go. I import from a lot from Costa Rica, some from Thailand, Vietnam, Bali, Indonesia. Um, once companies can see that you can import an entire container of wood, everybody starts offering you wood. So I get hit up weekly to buy wood from around the world. And at that point, it just comes down to the size and the price. And I can get prettier, higher quality stuff at a cheaper cost if I import it than I do if I use domestics. 
And that's kind of what separates my work from a lot of people is just the diversity that I get to use rather than just sticking to one region or, you know, three different species. It's all over the board. One of the things that separates us from a lot of other people is just the craftsmanship and the eye for detail. So a lot of companies that you see on social media, when I say like going back to what I was saying previously about the defects, the knots, the voids that makes it, you know, gives it a lot of character. A lot of people, in my personal opinion, no offense, they take it a little too far to where it looks like they're putting lipstick on a dog. You know, it's, it's not a pretty piece of wood. And I think... In my opinion, I, I let the wood speak more than like adding crazy epoxy or doing too many inlays. It's it's too much for the eye. And one thing that I really pride myself on and a lot of compliments I get from potential clients and clients is when they're out there searching and my clients are international from coast to coast here in the States, all over the place, hotels, resorts, you name it. Everybody says the exact same thing. When they see my work, it just looks different. And it all starts with the sourcing of the wood. And that's something I'm very proud of because in a market that is kind of overly saturated, especially during the pandemic, a lot of people picked up woodworking as a hobby. The fact that my work still stands out, I'm pretty happy about that. How has your experience in corporate America helped you as an entrepreneur? Um, I learned exactly how not to run a business. <laughs> okay, that's very good. That's anti-log. Okay. Yeah, I, I came from the oil and gas world where office politics and, you know, you think for a bunch of nerds, people would play nice, but no, it was cutthroat and, you know, how they, you know, the corporate vibe and you know what do they call it um blanket on the word it's um culture that is such a bullshit term and word coming from the corporate world because it doesn't mean anything if it's not walked it's all just talk and fluff so people are throwing everybody under the bus and it's not a healthy environment yeah um so when i quit the corporate world to start this It's so funny. My personality was told, like, I'm too abrasive. I'm too straightforward. I'm too honest. Hey, you can't say that in meetings where I'm like, why? Somebody messed up. Let's call a spade a spade. Everybody in the group acknowledges it. Okay, let's all not do that. Now we move forward. They're like, you can't do that. And it's funny because those are the exact reasons why my business has become successful. There is no fluff. And I don't change. How I speak to you is how I speak to clients is how I speak to friends. And the fact that I don't have to play that game anymore, I sleep very well at night.
One of my favorite questions is, what is your definition of success? Is it monetary? Is it time? Is it status? Um, you could take that a lot of different ways. For me personally, it's freedom. You know, having to be at a job, you know, Monday through Friday and on call most weekends, you know, it does hinder you. And I don't know, I just, I love the fact that if I want to pick up and go for two weeks and, you know, over Christmas, I was like, uh, I'm ahead on most of my projects. So I'm going to go spend a week with a good friend of mine in Nashville. And then I'm going to rent a condo on the beach in Florida. And then one of my clients invited me up to their mountain cabin up in Colorado to go snowboarding for a week. And the fact that I don't have to answer to anybody, I don't have to be anywhere unless I need to be, I find that very beautiful. And I I would not sacrifice that for anything. So I think the first thing is, you know, what is your goal? What do you define as success? <clears throat> the second thing, being authentic is such a lost trait in this world that if you can just honestly be yourself, not give a shit if people like you or they don't like you, it's kind of not your problem. But most of my clients at their status, they're so used to brown nosers and people kissing their ass, they they don't enjoy that. They want to have an authentic experience. So just be yourself, believe in yourself. And if somebody doesn't like that, okay, that's perfectly fine. Is it easier to go through that process with the help of family members, friends? What is your experience? Or you can do it by yourself. It does not matter. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question. And um, everybody has a different experience. Um, mine definitely came out of left field. So trying to explain what I was doing when I quit, you know, a six-figure salary job, you know, at 32 years old to, you know, start playing with wood, nobody really understood that. So for the first two, three years, it was a pretty lonely path. And then slowly but surely, like my friend group went from here down to about here. And my inner circle, I can count on one hand how many people are in that inner circle. But those people have had my back since day one. Even though they didn't understand it, they backed me. And it was a struggle. Even my parents, you know, for the first three years, I didn't really talk to them that much because I didn't want negativity. That what if question, like, well, you know, what if this doesn't work out? Like, what's your backup plan? I can't think like that. Failure is not an option. So it did cause a lot of strife, a lot of sleepless nights. But at the end of the day, you make the bed you sleep in. And if you're okay with that, have at it. Did you have any specific ways for dealing with stress? Unfortunately for me, this was my hobby as stress relief. So then when it pivoted to building a business, it really kind of became obsessive like to the point it you know i didn't go out for a couple of years i didn't really do much outside of work and then when i could travel i would um i would say playing golf traveling whenever i can messing with my dog that big idiot but also being with yourself why not i mean that's that's also that was your way I'm I'm an introvert, so being with myself and being internal is very easy for me, and I enjoy quiet.
how did you gain success so quickly in a, such a competitive industry? It, it started off super fast. Like the first job that I landed that allowed me to quit my job, I took a big risk. I had never, I'd only built one dining table at that point and a couple small pieces. And they wanted five conference room tables. The biggest was 14 by five feet. I've never built anything that big. And then towards the tail end of that, um, right after we got done installing that, I got asked to bid on a job for the JW Marriott Resort down in San Antonio where the PGA plays. And then my third job was the Ritz-Carlton in St. Thomas. And it was just, it was risk. Had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I could figure it out, whether it was stubbornness, hard-headedness, or, you know, stupidity to the max. I knew I could figure it out. And so I said yes, and I figured it out. And so from right out of the gate, it was like, okay, I want to go after whales. I don't want to make, you know, charcuterie boards or anything like that for friends and family. I want whales. So once that trend started, then I just had to start putting the puzzle pieces on how to continue landing whales. What's your business model? How do you make money? And that's a great question because a lot of people don't understand that. They just think, you know, business, product, profit. It's not how that works. No, 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 no. Mm, okay. Um, I've been very fortunate. So Andy has been my welder from day one. Um, when I very first started out, um, I was looking online on where to buy live edge wood, found a couple stores that I thought they were overpriced. So I went on Craigslist, found Andy. He's a firefighter full time. So this is actually a side hustle. So it's been pretty much the two of us thick as thieves for six years now. And the team that I've built, they are tried and tested um, between my PR company, my digital marketing company, uh, my website developer, business attorney, CPA, accounting firm. I've built a solid team around me that understands what I'm trying to do rather than be a mass producer and produce a hundred of something for little money. I went the artist way, one of one, 100% custom. That allows me to control how much product goes out, what projects I take on. I can be picky, very, very picky because I only want to make cool stuff. If I don't think it's cool, I'm not going to build it. And it's no offense to the client, just you can find somebody a lot cheaper than me to build it. But if you want extraordinary, I'm your guy. How have you managed to stay ahead of trends within that specific woodworking industry? Yeah, um, I honestly pay zero attention to what trends are doing or what people are doing. Um, I don't really follow many woodworkers on Instagram because personally, I feel like it stifles my creativity. Because if you see somebody else's work and you want to play off that idea, you're just kind of copying it. And especially in an industry that's overdone and everybody just copies everybody, it's hard to be original. Whereas, like, we had a client who literally gave me carte blanche freedom. They wanted this crazy kitchen counter and I just had the wildest idea. And I tried to explain it to him and the husband, Scott was standing there, he's like, I have no idea what you just said but I'm excited that you're so excited. So man, let's go, here's the check. And just do it. Like I, I like to one up myself and always push boundaries. So if I haven't done it and I think it's the next step in progression, I'm all for it. So I don't pay attention to trends. I don't follow what's popular. I honestly don't care.
my digital marketer, she is brilliant. She's a brilliant woman. And her and I had a long conversation um, a couple of years ago about routines and daily routine. Because you see guys like Kevin Hart, The Rock, you know, Mark Wahlberg. I get up at 3.30, 4.30 in the morning. I get a workout in. I play golf for an hour. Then I eat breakfast. Then I do this. You know, I set my day. I'm in bed by 8. It's scheduled. I left the corporate world to avoid that. And I'm a night owl. So I operate best usually 10 a.m. to 6, 7 p.m. That's, that's you know, I don't go to bed at a set time. Usually it's midnight to 1 a.m. I'm up at 7 or 8. If I'm lucky, 9. You know, dog wakes me up to take him out for a walk. But I, I'm not a fan of schedules like that, especially because I have a tangible product that's more artistic. Being on a schedule, I feel like stifles that because you never know when creativity is going to hit versus let's say I'm going to start, you know, let's use Ray for an example. How many digital marketing companies are out there? It's a copy and paste industry most of the time. Anybody can start it. To be good at it is totally different. And I feel that's that's translatable in every single industry. Like, look at Jordan Peterson. Do you know who that is? Trendsetter. The guy is just operating at a different level, and he's doing it on his own accord, which I respect. Same with Joe Rogan. Same with guys like you. There doesn't need to be a set schedule or a rhyme or reason. Does it work best for you? That's all that matters. Any potential exit strategy, any plans for the right edge to expand or diversify its offerings in the near future? I mean, because of your specific business model, what's what's your uh, approach? It's, man, I'm telling you, I'm having one of those days that is so serendipitous, like the dominoes are just lining up. I had a guy that has been following me on social media since I was in the garage. I've met him in person like five or six times. He just randomly came by the shop today. And it's so funny. Last week, a really good friend of mine hit me up and was like, hey, I have a business opportunity that I would like to run by you. And the biggest thing is because I'm authentic, I don't hold back. I don't pull punches. When it comes to like these guru groups or like these entrepreneurial lifestyles that you can pay subscriptions to, to get inside advice and all this stuff. Well, in the wood industry, there's really only like one or two, but they're mostly geared for like the DIYer who wants to pivot to do this full time. And it's nothing about the actual business scalability or profitability, how to actually functionally run and grow a business. So I think there's a niche kind of void for that. And we were talking about it last week and then with the guy who came by today. And that's one thing I am going to go forward with is to actually put together a plan on how people can do this and actually make money. Because I think a lot of people look at what I do and they're like, oh man, you just got lucky. Really? Were you with me all those sleepless nights? Were you with me when I had to sell my house? Were you with me when I lost all my friends? When I damn near got bankrupt? Hmm. How much do you believe in what you're doing? So I think a lot of people can show surface level, but actually, you know, how to build this right. That's that's one thing we're going to go forward. Outside of that, um, you know, I have my own custom coffee brew. 
I invested in that company. So that worked out. And, you know, they're all friends because I want to support my friends and I believe in, you know, people who are close to me. Um, outside of that, I don't know, man. We'll see. We live in a crazy world right now. We'll see what happens. You asked me if I, you think I, or I think I would be affected by the AI thing and stuff like that. My answer is no, because I actually have a tangible product. It's handmade. Furniture's never going to go away. And with the clientele that I target, they're always going to want something gorgeous, nice. It has a story. It's a one of one rather than, oh, it's the same guy who built, you know, 40 tables for the restaurant. It's not special. So I don't think it's going to affect me at all. I'm not worried. I'm not paying attention to it. Um, as long as I keep doing what I'm doing and I'm doing it well and I do it right, be just fine. The website is therightedge.com, and that's right, as in W-R-I-G-H-T, my last name. Instagram is the same, it's at the right edge. And come take a look if you want to see some really big wood. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik, connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark on the path to success.